Okay, let's look in Ruth chapter 4. <clears throat> let's read verses 13 to 22. Ruth chapter 4, verses 13 to 22. The Bible says there, <clears throat> So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And Naomi took the child, and laid it in her bosom, and became nurse unto it. <clears throat> and the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez begat Hezron, and Hezron begat Ram, and Ram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nashon, and Nashon begat Salmon. And Salmon begat Boaz, and Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. And again, the book of Ruth, I, I like it. It's, it's true. This is a true story of God's grace on, on a life. And it's, it's, nice to read, it's nice to read a good story, a love story, or even a movie that's like that. But it's even better when it's true, and then it's even better when God gives it, like this one. This is a true story. Um, you know, there's a lot of feel-good stories out there, and it's like, well, that's nice, but it wasn't really true. Yeah. This is true, and this is the, the God of the book of Ruth is our God today. And so we can relate with these sentiments and these truths. But again, it starts out with a loss. Uh, a Jewish woman and her family, her husband and two sons go down. They leave their land and go down. Uh, to the Moab, to Moab, and a foreign nation, people that aren't believers, and her sons marry ladies. The, uh, they, her sons take two women of the land and marry them, and her husband dies, and now she's a widow. Naomi's a widow, and then her two sons die, and now her two daughter-in-laws are widowed. So we have three widows: one who is a Jewish believer, and these other two are Moabitists. There's no definite statement of faith about them, and so. Mo so Naomi is mourning and just, you know, it's like, it's one thing, I've never been a widow, and if I would be, it'd be a widower, but it's one thing to have that happen. It's nothing to have that happen to become a widow under such circumstances in a foreign land. And like, where's all my comforters? And then you have your daughter-in-laws, that's good, but it's like there's still something that you can't quite relate with them uh, because they're not of the same faith, and then perhaps a generational thing might, affect that I don't know but so she's wanting to get back and she decides to go back to Israel and her daughters-in-law want to go with her and she again you know we're not going to re-preach it but to summarize it she says girls go back and the one does fine she goes back to her gods and Ruth says no way I'm going with you and I've decided uh, it's like a saying I've decided to follow Jesus type of thing for her I've decided to go where where your faith is and your God will be my God and so she goes with her Ruth, and that's kind of the turning the key part of the, of, the, of the story is this lady right here just chooses the God, the true and living God. And it changes her soul's destiny, but it also changes her family. Her family tree looks different. Her, her soul, of course, is saved, but her family tree, 
or family life totally changes, not because of some cool book she read on family life or because she, you know, was on the right dating website, but because of the first because of the God she chose to follow. That changed her family tree. So she goes back and God coordinates it where she ends up meeting the right person also the right person to help recover this family, Boaz. So the, the begin, it begins with the loss, it ends with grace. She marries, she meets Boaz, who happens to be a, 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 a relative of her husband, who's qualified in the Jewish uh, framework to help redeem their impoverished state and be the first, uh, one of the first candidates to be able to marry her as a widow, the daughter-in-law. And you know the story again, how he... He goes through that to do, he goes through those steps to do that. So let's talk about this. <clears throat> so here's the thing. Again, we did the first three points, and we'll, I'll quickly review them, and then we'll do these last three. Happily ever after by grace. The story ends happily ever after. Truly does. And you see that at the as the story ends. Uh, am I not supposed to stand in front of this, Aiden? By the way, okay. <laughs> There's a little technical thing they've been messing with. Okay, <clears throat> uh, but. Um, so, happily ever after, by grace. So, they become the ancestors of David and the ancestors, humanly speaking, of Christ. That's really neat. You see the cross and the crown there. They become ancestors of King David and of Jesus Christ, who will be king one day, of course, that we thoroughly emphasize this morning. So, we see grace in Boaz. So, we see moments of grace, five points of grace here in the book. There's grace in Boaz. What does Boaz do in this last chapter? He wants to have Ruth... But he needs to make sure this other man uh, is, uh, makes his man who had the right to take Ruth as his wife. And so he goes up and does business on her behalf and talks to him. And the man says, I'm not going to, I can't take her. I can't uh, buy the field and take Ruth as my wife. It'll mar my inheritance. I can't do it. So Boaz says, I'm going to do it. And he has the shoe, was the. Uh, custom in Israel where they took off a shoe. The, the other man took off the shoe and says, you go ahead and redeem her, redeem the, the, the land, of, for, the, the property for, for the mother-in-law and marry her. He's like, and the guy took off his shoes. Here, here you go. And that's his receipt. All right, folks, you heard that. I'm going to redeem her. And so you see him go and work on Ruth's behalf so she could be redeemed and become his and that's what Jesus does. Jesus re- goes and works on our behalf. Again, we've said this before. What's the difference between a lot of religions? Most religions is do versus done, right? There's a little book that was written at, by Carrie Schmidt. It's do. Uh, there's done. It's called done because <laughs> a lot of religions is do this, do this, do this, do this, and then you'll have something with God. Have merit with God. And it's a works thing, versus done. We trust in the done, the finished work of Jesus. Jesus went to the cross for me. He took care of my sin for me. I, I, there's nothing I can do except trust in Him. It's an act of faith. And so she trusted in the work of Boaz. Boaz goes, he goes there, he does the legal thing, comes back, and he's able to take her as his wife. Beautiful. Then there's a grace. We see a moment of grace here, that grace in getting a blessing on one's marriage. Remember there, the 
Verse 11, the people that were there and the elders and the, the people at the gate and the elders said, we're witnesses. We're witnesses that that's exactly what you're going to do. And then they added a blessing. May God bless you with a whole bunch of kids like Jacob's family, you know. And they gave a blessing on it. And uh, yesterday at Susie's reception, I kind of opened it with a prayer and, and uh, talked about her and came in for a little bit and, and gave a blessing to them. And it's a privilege to be able to do that. So that's what happens. It's good to, to go into marriage uh, with a blessing before you even do the marriage to, to get, can you bless what I'm doing here? What do you think about this person? Get another person of a Christian mind. Uh, your parents, kids, you want to, I know the parents in here have a decent enough mind, a Bible mind, a Christ-centered mind that they need to be your first advisors on somebody you're going to court and take interest in and get their blessing, get their advice even now about how to even get to that part. So anyhow, this grown man, uh, definitely grown man, and gets a blessing. And there's a grace in getting a blessing. And then there's grace in becoming a parent. We talked about that. What does it say there? Uh, verse 13, at the end of verse 13, the Lord gave her conception. Boaz marries Ruth, and, and God gave her conception. That is, God allowed her to be pregnant, little baby to be conceived, and her to go full term and give birth to this little dude named Obed, who mean, which means servant. There's a blessing in becoming a parent. The children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. You, are, you kids are a reward to your parents uh, from God. And it's our job to, to manage your personalities and behavior and, and heart and thought, uh, uh, belief system the best we can. Let's look at these next two. This is, there's grace in becoming a grandparent. Now let's watch this. This is, this is really interesting. Look what happens here. These next two points, grace and becoming a grandparent. Verse 14, look what it says there. The women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. We'll stop right there. Other women vocalized, in verse 14, they said, Blessed be the Lord. What do these other women do? They vocalize what they see as God's blessing on her. How did Naomi feel about herself at the beginning of the book? I'm bitter. How, what is she being told at the end of the book? You're blessed. Because she, she was. She got this daughter-in-law that's believed, and now a son-in-law, now a grandson. And the lady's like, blessed be Naomi. You got your kinsman. And the kinsman, by the way, here is referring to the little dude. And notice what these ladies say. He shall be unto thee, a, look at verse 15, a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. Do you see what they, the, the neighbor ladies are like, ah, look at that. They're watching Naomi, Grandma Naomi, right there. And they see that little guy and they're like, you're blessed. You got a little kinsman and he's going to be your little revivalist. He's going to be a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. How many of us have grandparents that are still alive? Right? This is talking about the blessing of being a grandparent 
and the blessing uh, that a grandparent will see, the blessing that the grandparent can give to the child. But here it's the blessing that the child can give to the grandparent. You know what? It was such, for me, uh, I have a lot of sweet blessings about my grandparents and great-grandparents. At least one set of my great-grandparents. Listen to what one man said about grandparents. By the way, hey, all right, kids, how many of you go over to your grandparents' house, they have some, like grandma has some, something that she's cooked for you, or cookies. Anybody like that? All right. Ah. If not, she'll whip them up probably. You're like, how come my mom doesn't do that all the time? Well, she probably does. But listen to this. Listen to this about, we're going to talk about this, the blessing of being a grandparent, the grace There's a guy who did a very thorough study on grandparenting. His name is Dr. Arthur Kornhaber, weird last name. But he did a thorough study starting in the 70s, and I I don't know if it's still continuing, but they said it's one of the largest studies on grandparenting ever done, grandparent-grandchild relationships. Listen to what he said about this. He says, the grandparent-grandchild relationship is the purest, least psychologically complicated form of human love. I'll say that again. He said, after his study, he says, I found that the grandparent-grandchild relationship is the purest and least psychologically complicated form of human love. (laughs) It's true. I found that to be true in my case. Um, So here you have Naomi. Naomi is just, what does it do? I mean, Naomi, maybe Naomi used to stop cooking cookies. Maybe, you know, it, you know, she just was a little more slow moving because she was a widow and she just was sad about stuff. And, and she, but now she, oh, oh, wow, Boaz, she's perking up. She gets a new son-in-law now. And uh, kind of like, a, in a way, like an adopted son. It's kind of an unusual thing. But her daughter-in-law marries him and now she's perking. And now she gets this little guy born and all the neighbor ladies are like, boy, look at that's a little revivalist. He's going to perk you up. He's going to put a little spring back in your step. Now she's baking cookies again. I mean, Boaz is probably happy about it. I think Ruth and uh, Ruth and Boaz are happy. Like, man, we got a really enthusiastic babysitter now. You know, parents are always looking for babysitters. They are like, oh, so I can babysit here. Who can babysit? You know, and then if it's your parent, that's great. When I, I mean, my parents are obviously older, and my both sides and but when we were younger and especially had our first four my wife's parents they were it was like we really were spoiled I mean we had they had their aunts Aunt Sarah Aunt Beth and then we had Grandma Grandpa Roy then we had my wife's parents and then we had my parents over in Mesa we're like hey just that's not gonna work shoot them over there that's not gonna work shoot them over there you know it's like and and it was good you know I remember going to my parents' house sometimes. Johanna was a little baby. I remember we'd get like, you know, we buy, we would buy our first kid. We'd buy these toys and thinking they need this type of toy and that type of toy. And, 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 and sometimes she'd play with it. You know, she'd get bored real quick. And then I'd drop her off at my mom's house. My wife and I, we'd go out to eat or something and come back. And Johanna's on the floor. My wife's like, or my mom's like, yeah, she's been playing all night. Johanna's on the floor beating pots and pans, and there's empty Gatorade bottles with stuff, just stuff my, grand, my mom put in there, just a rattle. Johanna's like, bang, 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 bang. And my mom's cool with it. She's easy going. She's like, yeah, she's been playing this all night. My wife and I are like, 
forget those dumb toys we bought. Let's just go to the go through the recycled garbage and start putting stuff in there. I'm just kidding. But I just realized she liked little simple things. She loved Grandma and Grandpa's house and Grandma and Grandpa Roy. There's so many good memories I can tell you about that. But it, but you know, a child can kind of perk up. A grandchild can kind of perk up the the grandparent. I remember my grandpa. How many of you guys like ice cream? Anybody ever had homemade ice cream? Raise your hand. Homemade. Anybody making homemade ice cream? Anybody want to make any for me tonight? All right. So my grandpa Morgan, my mother's dad, Grandma Grandpa Morgan, I mean, I was the first grandson. I was a grandchild in our, on my mom's side of the family. And uh, I have such good memories with Grandpa Cliff Morgan and Grandma Eudora Morgan. And uh, I remember... Uh, so many memories. He'd take me camping, and uh, he, when I would, when, so my grandpa loved ice cream. And you know what? Here's how it works. Here's how it works. If you like ice cream and your wife's like, honey, you can't have too much ice cream. You know, you can't. But the grandkids are coming over. We're going to make some. Oh, then that's good. That's like his get, get ice cream free card because that's an excuse. You've got to feed the grandkids. And so I remember coming over a few times, and, and they'd be like, yeah, grandpa's going to make ice cream for you today. And I was like, all right, cool. Man, my grandpa was more excited than I was. He's pulling out this thing, this contraption and doing stuff and putting salt. I'm like, what are you putting salt in there for? I didn't know how they make this stuff. I'm like, salt? I don't know about this. And he's like, this is ice cream. I'm just going to like this. And he's all talking and everything and pouring this stuff in there. And I don't know what. I thought, what is this? It looked like something he brought from upstate New York because that's where they're from. It looked like an antique thing. And they're making it. Like, all right, grandpa, meanwhile, I'm going around playing with it. I come back. Oh, yeah, there's ice cream. I'm like, that's pretty good. I like that. He would be so excited. It'd perk him up. And then one time my grandpa made a, in his backyard, he made a little pond. It'd be like, it'd be like from here to the wall, probably about this wide. He made a little pond. It would only be like that deep. And he made it in the shape of a fish. He like, it was kind of a round, like a little tiny pool pond. And when he first made it, he poured the cement to make all the flooring of it. And he said, he's so excited about this. He's calling my parents. He says, Mike, Michael can come over and swim in it before I put fish in there. So he kept saying, I'm like, fine, cool. Then they called me up. And I'm like five years old. That was enough swimming for me, you know. And so I remember Grandpa filled that thing up. And it was like, again, it was about, you know, about like that deep or whatever. And, and it was, <laughs> and I initiated the, the fish pond. And I got in there and played around and, wow, this is fun, you know. And then when I was done, I don't know what he did, but the next time I came around, there was these fat goldfish in there. And so he'd get all excited and stuff. It kind of perked him up. And, and even sometimes my wife, you know, see, we have our, you know, we have Bella and Gabe, and there's another one coming with through Michael and Estrella. She's expecting, but, you know, Deb, <laughs> of course, we got our hands full as it is. But sometimes Deb will be like, oh, you, you, you want the kids are coming over? and Yeah, yeah. So we'll try to get the house cleaned up and stuff. And then I start acting like, I start exaggerating. You know, I start, our grandkids are coming. I start acting all old and stuff. I shouldn't do that because it's going to come upon me. I'm like, I ain't thinking I tell the grandkids are coming over. Let's clean up. And I'm all acting dumb and probably shouldn't do that. But, but Deb gets all perked up about it, you know. And so do the, so do the tios, the uncles, huh? Yeah. All right. So anyways, look, this is, this is a, what a blessing. It helped. God gave her that to perk her up a little, what is he, a little revivalist. He shall be, a, look at verse 15, a restorer of thy life 
and a nourisher of thine old age. Let me just say something to the kids here again. You know, try to be a blessing to your grandma and grandpa. I know some of us in here are grandparents. Some of us in here that have them come to visit. You get to visit them. And I know not everything's, you know, some angelic relationship. I get that. I know there's not, that's not always perfect. But try, kids, to be a blessing to your grandparent, whether they're a believer or not. Try to be a blessing to them. Um, so, Brent, I, got, I have all these memories right here. I took, jotted down, and I don't know if I should just share them all, but... Anyways, let's note, notice verse 16. Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. So, so now, you know, she's able, apparently young enough still, to nurse the child. I'm assuming it's breastfeeding, which is possible still, which isn't odd in that culture. Took it and became nurse unto it. The woman, look at verse 17. The women, her neighbors, gave it a name saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. Obed means servant. Now, did you hear what just happened? They see Grandma Naomi grab the little grandson, and all the neighbors are like, hey, she's got a baby boy. She, it's like they, it, there's such a closeness there that they attribute her as being the mother. Of course, she's breastfeeding the baby too. They attribute her as being the mother. She's close. She's embracing her grandmotherhood. She's embracing it. And it is a blessing to do that and to, to try to embrace that new role that she has. It's like, I got something I can do. She'd been widowed. Her two daughter-in-laws had been widowed. They go back. It's getting better. Her daughter-in-law gets married. That's great. Now there's a baby coming and she embraces that new role. That, should, that often happens sometimes when you have a major transition in life or even a death or you're a widower or widow. Widow or widower, you have to think, what is a new role that I need to embrace? And that takes a while to find that. Sometimes I, even one in here told me, I don't know what I am now. And that's what happens. I'm, what am I? I've got to re-identify who I am. And so here she is embracing her role as a grandmother. She's being a blessing to him. He's being a blessing to her. Naomi previously thought God was done with her. But when she sees this little guy, she realizes he's not done with her. and She embraces this wholeheartedly. I remember my grandparents, I'm glad for, you know, that I got to be, it looks like a blessing to my grandparents most of the time. But I'm glad for the blessing my grandparents have been to me. Um, you know, I didn't get put in arms and nursed by a grandmother. But I got some feedback from my grandmother both sides, and some feedback from my grandpa, grandpa's both sides. And I, and I, knew, I remember the, the times when I got a... And I, I had the blessing of having saved grandparents, Christians. Uh, you know, the, my grandpa, Henry, he used to pastor, Southern Baptist pastor, he used to pastor Arizona Avenue Baptist Church for a while, and then went to Tucson about, and pastored there for a while, and then died of prostate cancer in 1994 but I remember the few times I got to spend time with him and just talk to him a little bit and him a f the few things he said to me I tried to embrace and I think he purposely tried to feed me I was in college at the time when he died certain points of advice about life and about the Christianity and about ministry and nothing long boring just a few little comments and I remember them I'm like I'm glad he said those few things to me 
I remember a few things he said to me about prayer that I appreciated and even about things that relate to church. And then even my grandma and grandpa Morgan used to be in North, kind of North Mesa area for a while. The times I got to spend with them, getting feedback from them about life and about the Lord and about the Christian, you know, walking with the Lord and following the Lord. And I, I appreciated that blessing. There's grace in being a grandparent and having a grandparent. There's a guy right now, and I'll move to the next point after this, but there's a guy right now I'm working on to get to church, and I'm hoping to see him. But he, he basically, um, he contacted me, and he's wanting me, I met with him, and we've talked a little bit. Um, he got off way off track in his life, way off track, and some bad things. And he's coming back. And now he's living with a grandparent. And when I met him, he told me his life and his life story is basically mom, mom went this way, dad went this way. My grandparents raised me. My grandpa raised me and I went to such and such Baptist church in this other state and I was saved at this age, gives a clear testimony. And then I, at my teenager's years, I got off track, got in the wrong crowd, got drinking and smelling the wrong stuff and doing the wrong things. And there's marks of that on him. And he says, but I want to come back. And now he's back with his grandpa. And he goes, he made the difference in my life, humanly speaking. Because I didn't, dysfunctional over here, the mom, dysfunctional over here on the dad. He goes, this, my grandpa's raised me. And so you never know. Sometimes they can serve as a, of a refuge. See, so for me, I like take that stuff for granted. But there's some that need that. So... By the way, I want to say one more thing, too. This is what the, you know, in a, in a church, in our church, we want to make sure, I've said this before, it, it's good to have all of our generations, the kids, the teens, the parents, the non-parents, the grandparents, all that. We need kind of the influence of multi-generation. That's what we need. So let's go to this last thing of grace here. Grace in becoming a grandparent, grace in beginning anew by faith. And I kind of said this at the beginning of our time of studying. Look at verses 18 to 22. It's basically describing a lineage. And we're not going to go through the whole lineage, but two particular points are when it says Boaz's dad, Salmon. I'm saying Salmon, by the way, because it's pronunciation marks. It doesn't salmon, okay? It's, I have pronunciation marks, so the King James guys told me how to say it, okay? All right. Anyways, uh, Salmon, the, the dad of Boaz. So Boaz's dad is Salmon. Salmon. All right. His wife is, remember? Rahab the harlot, formerly. Who's from the tribe of, well, no tribe. She's from another, she's Canaanite, I think. She's not Israeli. But she was one of the ites in the land. The spies came into her city, Jericho. And she decided she's going to join their side, just like Ruth. I'm going to become a believer. And by the way, the Bible, she, I know she lied for the spies. That wasn't her thing that God compliments her on. That's not, God compliments her on her faith in receiving the spies. Not faith in telling a lie. But she receives the spies. She has faith in the Lord. He mentions her, I believe it was in Hebrews 11. 
she decides, I'm done with harlotry, I'm done with the Jericho culture, I'm done with this other culture, I'm on their side, and that was a big risk. All she knew was these two spies. She heard about things of this group of people wandering in the wilderness. Here she is in this fortified city. She felt security. And yet at the same time, she probably felt an element of insecurity in her sin. Perhaps God was just doing things to work in her conscience. She chose. She chose the God of Israel. And when, they, when that city came down, she was saved. Her area was not destroyed, and she escaped with Israel, with the people of God. And she met this man named Salmon, and they had a son named Boaz. So that changed her family tree. An act of faith changed her family tree. Here's the thought. You can, by faith, anyone can be blessed. By faith, anyone can be blessed from God. He that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Boaz's mom was a prostitute and turned, to, turned by faith to God. And so does Ruth. Not that she was a prostitute, but she turned to God and it changed her family tree. God wants to give us, we're interested in, by the way, we're interested in an heritage of grace, not a heritage of race. Some families get really fixed on my kid marry the right, in the right culture, in the right race. That is nothing, that God doesn't care about that. It's a heritage of faith, a heritage of grace that God cares about. And that's what you see here. You have two different women of different ethnicities that come into the faith, that come into the grace of God. And that's what matters. An unconventional background cannot null or void God's hand on our life. He calls for us to have faith, not an ideal status. Think about what I just said. Well, I, don't have, I didn't have parents who were Christians. I didn't have grandparents like Pastor has, who says who were Christians. That's all right. Decide to start a, a new heritage. And, and I know that that's what I'm looking at tonight. Decide to, some of you are, some of you are first generation genuine Christians. Some of you are second generation. I was thinking about Brother Adam last week when I went to his, the funeral for his uh, grandmother. And uh, they were at a Catholic church and that's what most of the, that side of the family is. And, and I, we sat there and they had a whole mass and they had a memorial. It was, it was honoring to her, I think, in a way. And I was sitting there and I, and I <clears throat> Adam and his family and his brother, Adam and Sonia, the kids, Adam's brother Wesley, his wife and their kids, that's basically the two siblings that Tish and his mom, his dad had, and the two children. And, uh, and then I'm looking at, you know, the aunts and uncles and extent, some extended family. And, uh, and, I'm, and I kind of knew some of them already through the years, and I know Adam and Wes through the years. And I'm just observing the difference of what's happened in lives as I'm sitting in that Catholic Mass. There was a lot of time because I did like 50 Hail Marys and I had to think about other things That's for a right. while there. So, um, and I thought, you know, his dad, Adam's dad and mom made a definite, different, they made a different faith choice. They were in a different faith, the Catholic Church. And here's a whole testimony that Adam could probably tell better than me. But his dad decided to leave that and to follow the gospel of the Bible. And it changed, changed your soul. And it changed his, the family tree. 
And it's like he didn't, what, well, again, what is it that changes lives? Faith in the God of the Bible and tapping into his grace by faith. That changes lives. And it's not like you have to come with, look who I am, God. Look at my ideal status. Well, so many of us are dis. You know, I had a, mine was a step this and a half this and a, I'm, I don't know who my dad is. Just go to God <laughs> and start your new for your own family. And, you know, yeah. So God, uh, an unconventional background, cannot null or void God's hand on our life. He calls for faith. Heritage of grace. So they lived happily ever after by grace. And that's how, in a reality, that's how our life should be. I don't, not that we're going to have everything that happens here with Ruth, in her, not in her story, but we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand too. We can live happily ever after by God's grace also.